Thanks, Murray. <clears throat> we talk about Father's Day. I always think about uh, some of my favorite Father's Day stories. Someone mentioned a Young Life camp several years ago. I was uh, speaking uh, at a Young Life camp up in the mountains of Colorado. And one morning, one of the uh, staff dads came to me, and he just called back home to his wife and <clears throat> that little three-year-old uh, girl. And he was laughing. He said, I said, what's so funny, Glenn? He said, well, we... <laughs> We, uh, tell, I told my little daughter before I left that if every night if she would pray for daddy and pray that God would save those high school kids at that camp. And last night she got down on her knees and this was her prayer. Dear God, save daddy from those high school kids at camp. <laughs> so, <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorite. We've been uh, studying and looking at the epistle of Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus. And now we're at this one of the most famous and most amazing all scripture is amazing, but this one uh, is always uh, meant so much to me. Let's look uh, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And in your pew Bible, that should be on <clears throat> a page in your Bible there. Page 1242. Uh, in the, the epistle of Ephesians, let's hear the word of God. It says this. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God... Being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised up us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the word of the Lord. I also can't go through Father's Day without thinking about my own father, Billy Frank Talley. And his, uh, when he was 25, he contracted Hodgkin's disease. Some of you know this story. We lived here in Amarillo. But he got, contracted Hodgkin's disease before it was curable. And he spent a year uh, slowly dying and ended up his last several months in the old St. Anthony's Hospital. And he was literally a dead man walking. My grandmother and my mother told me what that was like, to watch his life slowly ebb away. But he was just a lot like Paul said, although he was dead and dying of cancer, and, and, and he was incurring the wrath of cancer, and he was, he, was, he was living as a dead man walking. He, because he knew Jesus Christ, was living like a live man. He asked <clears throat> several days before he died, I was told that he went, even though he was dying of cancer, he went from room to room and shared the good news of the gospel with people who did not have a terminal illness, with people that were in for short periods. Even though he was dying, he was alive in Christ. And the last thing he asked when he could still speak before he could no longer talk was that a picture of Jesus be hung above his bed. So even though he was dead physically, if you will, he was dying and experiencing that wrath, he was alive in Christ. And that's really what Paul is talking about. He talks about the difference between, between being dead in sin 
and alive in Christ. And he begs the question, are we dead or are we alive? And look at this just difficult discussion. When he talks about being dead, there's some strong things here. He says that before you knew Christ, you were dead in sin. And there's some really strong descriptors here that when we're dead in sin without Christ, that we literally are at the whim and will of Satan to influence us. We have no power on our own to resist uh, the prince of the air. It also says several things about us, some descriptions. It says first that we are driven by a passion of flesh. When we're dead in sin, that we are driven by our passions of the flesh. The word sacra means our bodily desires. It also says that we are uh, driven by the desires of our body and mind. And the word here, and and, uh, the scholars use this Greek word, talk about this Greek word is very different for passion and for desire. It's the word epimetheia. Make sure I'm saying that right. Epithemia, excuse me. Epithemia. That the word for passion and desires means epithemia. And what that means in the English is that it's an uncontrollable, uh, insatiable, it's an inordinate desire for, for something more than it should be. That, that, that our desires and our passions are out of control. Tim Keller says that the idols and the passions of America are money, sex, and power. Gifts that God gave us, sex within marriage, money to provide, and the ability to lead and, and, and to have an influence. But when we're dead in Christ, it has an epimetheia effect. They're out of control. That we can't help being obsessed by sex or money or power. And that what happens to those of us who are or have been dead in Christ before we know Jesus, or those who don't know Jesus, we have this uncontrollable, out-of-order desire for things to be our God. He says that we take good things and we make them ultimate things, and that is when they're out of control. That we live for our body or our bank account or our status or our children or our spouse or our religion or anything that's not God is epimetheid. It's out of control. And we can't help it. We can't stop our addictions. We can't stop our false idols. And it spins out of control. When I was in the 60s, there was an old song, and every song is about this. If you listen to secular radio, pretty much. There's a song by a guy named Nielsen. He said, I can't live if living is without you. That's epimetheia. Whatever you fill in that blank, I can't live if living is without whatever that is. And Paul says without Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, in our lives, that we are living for something else and we are prisoners. Jesus says, if you sin, you're a slave to sin. Jesus says that every one of us have sinned. We have a spiritual cancer, Paul says. Just like my father, that we all were born in the spiritual state of cancer. It's called sin. And it is ruining our lives. It makes us out of control. We see it every day in the paper, in our own families, as we watch the news, that we're out of control, driven by passions and desires. And not only is it killing us, not only are we dead men and women walking without Christ, but we will incur the wrath of God. It will take our lives. The wages of sin, the Bible says, is death. Not only will we be dead today, even though we pretend like we cover up and we look like we're living, even though we'll be dead people walking, also at the end of time when we meet our Father, we will incur, incur separation from Him. Because the wages of sin will be to be separated from Him forever. And that is what hell is like. That's the bad news. And Paul says we used to be like that and we shouldn't forget that. And Paul says that if we don't know Jesus, that that's what we live. Controlled by our desires. Chasing things that will never make us happy. And destined for wrath. That's the bad news. 
Ah, but there's this word. <laughs> there's this great word if you keep reading down. And then he stops. Whenever someone says this little word to you, it changes everything, right? Honey, you did everything okay, but, right? This powerful little word. Well, I really like the way you look, but, or you passed all your grades, but this one little word changes everything. When you hear word, but, it means this little three-letter word. I think in Greek it's only one word. It changes everything. Because Paul says we were dead in our sins. We were dead without Jesus. But this great preposition says this. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, God has done something amazing to cure us from that spiritual cancer. He has made us alive in Christ. And this is a very, this is the good news of the gospel. Even though we were dead, we deserved wrath. We were out of control. But the good news is that we have been resuscitated spiritually. The Holy Spirit has given us mouth to mouth to our soul. We have been, we have been defibrillated spiritually because of God and his rich mercy has brought us to life. And look at the scriptures for the, and the difference. It says that although we were dead in sins, look at what it says that God has done. He's taken us from death to life, a life in Christ. It says that, that we were dead like Jesus, that we were raised up as well like Jesus. We've been raised up in Christ. And not only then, that we've been seated with him. You can see those, I think. We have those up there. We've been saved by grace and grace alone, it says, that we are raised up with him in the same way that he died on the cross and came back to life. God brought him back to life. He was raised. We are raised up. And then this amazing promise says in the same way that after Jesus was raised, he went back to his place at the right hand of the Father. Paul says this amazing thing that we also, Christ went back to his seat there, but we are also going to be seated with him. But here's a very interesting thing. It doesn't use in the Greek, it doesn't use a future tense. It uses a past tense. We're already seated with him. That even though we were dead in Christ, because of God's love, through the love of Jesus Christ, we are raised up already. We are alive today. And Christ says, I've come to have life and have the fullest. But we're also already seated at, next to Christ. We're seated up there with him. It's already done. Now that's kind of hard because we're still here. We're still living here. How can we now presently be seated with Christ? Well, it's not a physical promise. It's a legal promise. It's also a spiritual reality. In the same way that a lot of folks, before they die, they go ahead and and buy a funeral plot or a place in a mausoleum, and they they plan where they're going to be when they die. Well, guess what? If we have been raised from the dead by Jesus Christ, we also already have a little place card at the wedding table, at the banquet of Jesus Christ. Where he will celebrate with his bride. You have, if you have been raised and brought back alive in Jesus, you have a reservation already. Christ says, in my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a room for you. Just like you drive up and you have your name carved in the, the, the hearth or carved in the front door of that house. You already are seated in heaven. That's the good news. That though we were dead, we're alive. And how does that happen? How do we get there? Do I realize that I'm... <clears throat> Do I realize that I'm dead? Do I, do, I, do I try harder and harder? Tim Keller says it like this. That to understand the gospel is this. We are more wicked than we ever dared believe. We're dead in our sins. We have got to grasp that or we don't get the gospel. But we are more loved and accepted than we ever dared hope. We are dare, dead in our sins. We are wicked, but 
that we are loved. But how do I get from here to here? Do I realize by my life falling apart that I just, I just, I try harder and harder. I think I can, I think I can. And I read my Bible more and I give more money and I be more religious and I be good and I be more moral and I have more integrity and I quit uh, doing bad things. I don't dance and drink or chew or hang out with people that do. I become a good person. Is that how I do it? And I get good enough and God gives me a stamp of approval and I become alive in Christ? No. Paul says that's not ever going to happen. Our good deeds are like filthy rags. He says it like this. He says, it's by grace you have been saved. It is by grace and grace alone. This free gift, this undeserved gift from God, it's by grace and grace alone. You remember, when I grew up, you remember this as well. One of the most famous Christian poems ever written. We were always sitting in my grandmother's bathroom and everywhere he went, and it still pops up on the internet sometimes, this guy's talking. He says, I had a dream. I dreamt that I was walking along with you, and I saw footprints, and that you and I were, you and I were walking together, Jesus. But there was a place where I only saw one set of footprints. Why did you leave me, Jesus? And the hallelujah moment is, well, that's where I carried you during those hard times. You, you know, that's kind of kumbaya and kind of sweet, and that's okay. But Paul says, that's really not it. It goes further than that. It doesn't say that Jesus is just our little accomplice and our partner. When times get tough, we call him. Jesus says there's always just one set of footprints, and they're mine. That when you and I were dead and lost in our sins, that we cried out to him, and he said, jump on. And there's only one set of footprints. He takes us from death to life, and every step is his step. There's only one set of footprints. The footprints of the man, God who became a man and walked on this earth. The bloody footprints of the God who became a man and took the cross, our cross, from Jerusalem up to Golgotha. Only one set of footprints. The ones that were pierced through for our transgressions. We have done nothing but jump on and jump into the arms of Jesus and hang on by grace. It's by grace that we've been saved. That no one can boast. He's not just our little accomplice. He's not just our little buddy. He is our everything. We can do nothing apart from him. That's what the scripture says, that we are saved by grace. What does that look like? What does it look like? How do I know that I'm saved? People always ask this. How do I know if I'm saved? Or am I once saved, always saved? And all these theological questions. It's pretty easy, really. It's grace. It's pretty simple. My daughter Chandler talking about grand uh, about fathers. I get to, I'm getting to be a grandfather for the first time this August. She's due in August. It's going to be a little girl named Willow Ruth. Lord willing, pray for that. But Chandler was at a time where she didn't have a life inside of her besides her own. She didn't have a baby. She wasn't pregnant. And then by this miracle of God, by the, the, this amazing thing, she now has a life inside of her. She went from being not pregnant to pregnant, from not alive to alive, a baby. And that's why Jesus says the same thing. When he said, when Nicodemus comes and says, what must I do to be saved? He says, you've got to be born again. It's not just being good and trying by grace. You have got to be saved. In the same way, the way that my daughter knows she's pregnant is she is showing. She is great with child. It's the first time in our relationship that her stomach's bigger than mine. I kind of like that. She has symptoms. She's showing. And Paul says, if you're alive in Christ, you're going to be showing. If the Holy Spirit has come in you through Jesus Christ by grace, it'll start showing. Is it showing in my life? Is it showing in your life? Is it showing in the church's life? Do we live like people who are alive? As G.K. Chesterton said, joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. Are we alive in Christ? Are we showing? I thought about my own life, just to get point at yours, look at my own life. 
is proof that I'm no longer dead in Christ, but alive in Christ? Is it showing up? You know, we always have this technological thing about upgrading, upgrading, upgrading. We had a 2G, and now we want a 3G. And now we have a 4G, and we want a 5G. Well, I was talking to my accountability group the other day about what I'm praying for myself. That shows that I'm more and more in love with Christ and more alive in Christ. I don't want to be a 3G person. I want to be a 4G person. I don't want to be a griper and a grumbler and always complain about my wife or my life or my money or my church or my pastor or my family and always griping and grumbling and groaning and be a grateful person. If I'm alive in Christ, I am grateful for everything I had as a gift from God. My church, my pastor, my family, everything is for a purpose. Am I a grumbler or am I a grateful person? Am I upgrade by the Holy Spirit? Or am I still a 3G person where I still gossip and talk about people and say things that I wouldn't say to their face and say things to other people that they can do nothing about and say things that damage and poison a relationship, a church, a marriage? Or can I be gracious and not listen to gossip and speak the truth in love and stand up and say, I love that person. Let's do this a different way. Or am I a, am I a grudge holder? Besides being a groaner and a griper, besides being a gossip, am I a grudge holder? Do I hold small offenses? Do I shun people? Do I have a short account? Have I refused to forgive people? If I do, I'm still living like a dead man. But I want to upgrade. I want to be grace-filled. If Jesus Christ can forgive me for my sins, who am I to not forgive someone? Who am I to not let to keep the sun from setting my anger? Who am I who've been saved by grace to not give grace to others? I don't want to be this three. I want to upgrade and be a godly person. I don't want to be the old Kim Tally. I want to be more like Jesus. The Kim Tally that Jesus had in mind. And all God's people said, you said that a little too hard. <laughs> That's what the good news is. That's what it means to go from life to death. So the question today is, are you dead in your sins? Driven, controlled by your own passions? Things that you have to have to have life? Are you alive in Christ? Have you ever said to Jesus Christ, I'm in, and jumped on his back and let him carry you from death to life by his resurrection, death on the cross? Are you saved by grace? Today is that day. If you've never done that with Jesus, if you think you're a Christian because you're good and religious and grew up in America and and all that integrity and moral stuff, lay down your deadly doing and hang on to Jesus Christ who died for us to save us. And if we are and claim to be alive in Christ, are we showing? Do we look like people that are living for Christ? I'll close with this. This movie changed my life when I was struggling with Christianity. I saw this. It's called The Mission. It's about a Jesuit group of priests who in the 1700s, a Spanish priest, they went deep, deep into the jungles of South America. They went up the Izigu River and up the Izigu Falls, some 300, 400 feet, and they began ministering to this indigenous tribe and converting them. But there was also a Spanish captain named Montego, Montenegro, excuse me, Montenegro. And he was climbing up that same waterfall and capturing, and, and capturing the women and children and selling them for slavery. And they hated him. And he was man-driven. He was dead. He was driven by his passions. And one day he found his fiance in the arms of his brother. And he killed him with a sword. And he was so completely wracked by guilt and by shame and pain. He went to the Jesuit priest and said, what can I do to pay for this sin? It was a Catholic thing. 
And the priest said, let's take all of your armor and all your swords and everything and put that in a giant net. And you're going you're to walk all the way into the jungle. You're going to climb that uh, waterfall. And you're going to ask those people to forgive you. And here's what happened. Thanks be to God. Though even we were dead in our sins, he has made us alive. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Are you dead or alive? Cry out to Jesus. Ask him to cut the burden of sin out of your life for the first time or every day so that we can live like the people we were created to be. We can have a life that Jesus intends to be, a life full of joy. May it be so. One of the ways that we can affirm what we believe and be reminded that we're alive in Christ is the great historical affirmations of faith through history. So if you'll stand with me, we're going to read the Scots Confession of Faith. It's printed there in your bulletin. Let's confess our aliveness in Christ together. We confess and acknowledge one God alone, to whom alone we must cleave whom alone we must serve, whom only we must worship, and in whom alone we put our trust, who is eternal, infinite, immeasurable, incomprehensible, omnipotent, 
invisible, one in substance and yet distinct in three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, by whom we confess and believe all things in heaven and earth, visible and invisible, to have been created, to be retained in their being, and to be ruled and guided by his inscrutable providence for such end as his eternal wisdom, goodness, and justice have appointed, and to the manifestation of his glory. Amen.